I'm Chris Avena with American Outdoor News. Welcome to another edition of the American Outdoor News podcast. And today we have Lisa Yeager of Yeager's Run Animal Rescue. Lisa, we've known each other. I'm not even going to say how many years, but since we were 13. Yeah, 13. I think probably even before that. Yeah, we went to elementary school. No, just no, junior high just school. Junior right? high. We junior high. Uh, yes. I can't believe it. And, and you look amazing. You look great too. Haven't really changed much at all. Same sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So now you have been in real estate forever. You've won countless awards. You're like one of the top agents in the area. How'd you get into animal rescue? Um, actually, I was putting a lock set on a on a bank foreclosure, um, and um, it was kind of at dusk. And I looked down, and my partner said to me, "Hey, look out! You're going to step on that." And I looked down, and there was this little, like, I mean, I'm talking the size of a tennis ball, a little fuzzy thing. And I, I thought it was a rat and I looked at it and it was a kitten and it had all of this stuff coming out of its nose. It was coughing, it was sick. Um, and then I saw the mother off in the distance that I was, I have never been a cat person. You know, I've always had dogs my whole life. I've always loved animals, but just never big on cats. I never had one before. So we um, took her and we put her in a, a little, uh, a, we went into the house. The house was trashed inside. So we took a drawer from a dresser, put her in the dresser, put some, um, towels in it and took her to the vet. This was like four o'clock on a Friday. Um, the vet basically told us that um, she probably wasn't going to make it through the night. He, he hydrated her, gave her a shot of antibiotics and gave us some KMR. And uh, needless to say, she sleeps on my pillow, you know, along with the other three. Well, two and a half. I think I'm going to end up keeping the, the fourth one. So you one became already. a crazy cat lady? Kind of. I think five. <laughs> I think five cats can, constitutes crazy. So I have four. So I'm going to try and keep it. All that right. Way. So you're on the border. Uh, <laughs> right. So I ended up. Um, and so what I what ended up happening is I had gone back the next day and I realized that the house right next door to the house that I put on the market was an 850 square foot hoarder house with 60 cats. Do you know what 850 square feet looks like? It's That's like tremendous. my bathroom. That's like a warehouse. <laughs> Was this. So anyway, we had to call the Brookhaven shelter in. They condemned the house. They moved the two people out. We had to put a lot of the cats to sleep because they were um, they had FIV and HIV and they were sick. And but whatever was not put to sleep, we um, we took and into my garage. First time I've ever done this. I had. 13 cats in cages in my garage and we were feeding them and cleaning them and a lot of them were kind of mean but we were able to actually get homes for a couple of them and open up uh relocate them out to Riverhead um where there was another feral colony and we just you know we increased the feral colony and and I started learning how, what an epidemic um cats are on Long Island it's uh, it's they're all over in the richest neighborhoods, in the poorest neighborhoods, they're just everywhere. And there are these wonderful people out there for these that work for these rescue organizations that do something t called TNR. It's called Trap and Release. They trap these cats, bring them to either Long Island, spay and neuter, um, Dr. Berger's office. They give really great discounts to rescues. Um, they get them spayed and neutered, they recuperate them, and then they put them back where they found them. So at least they don't keep multiplying. But the sad part about it is these are domestic animals. And even though they're yep. feral, they don't belong out in the weather. It's just horrible. It's horrible. They don't I know honestly, how to survive. 
Right. And I honestly think, you know, with the property taxes we're paying on Long Island, Riverhead, Southampton, Brookhaven, Town of Oyster Bay, Huntington, all of those townships, every one of those shelters, you should be able to walk in there with a cat and say, here, I need it spayed or neutered, and they should do it for free. I, I don't understand why legislation hasn't put this in place. And because it's not just in low income areas, it's in wealthy areas. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. So that's like, you know, that's kind of like my pet peeve. Once I maybe slow down a little bit from real estate, I'm going to start working on legislation to, to help these animals. Are there politics in the future for you? Maybe. As long as it doesn't involve humans. It has to only well, involve animals. <laughs> like well, if, you, if you don't have wings or four legs, you're on your own. So that's kind of like my thing. De Blasio ran on, uh, he was oh. going to do away with the horses in Central Park. I think your cause is much better. <laughs> you have you a better so? chance. You think? You th I Absolutely. Think I, get a lot, I think I get a lot more support. <laughs> I think so. I yeah, think so. So you started with volunteering with like the Star Foundation, uh, Animal Welfare. Mm -hmm. um, how did this is like a, a second full time job for you? How did how did that happen? It is it is a full time job. I, I well originally um, so I had a swan. I, I own a house out east in Flanders. And I had a swan on my. On my, I live on the, I had a little cottage on the water and he had a swan and he wasn't looking good and he was laying on the, the asphalt outside my, my house. And I, so I called the Evelyn Alexander Wildlife Rescue Center. I said, hey, I got a sick swan. Can you send somebody over? So they sent someone over and, uh, you know, this big burly guy and he's got this, you know, big net and he's got his container and he runs after him and he misses him. And I said, um, he says, well, I said, well, are you going to come back? And he says to me, he says, no, he says, you know, when he comes back on the beach, just, you know, throw a towel over him and bring him in. And I look at him and I'm going, yeah, you want me to throw a towel over that 500 pound bird who's going to like <laughs> rip my arm off. And he looks at me and he says to me, I'm going to tell you a secret. He says, I can't hurt you. So they don't have teeth. <laughs> so they do. They have these little tiny razor blade teeth, but all they can really do is scratch you. Um, so what I ended up doing was we cornered him, threw a blanket over him, wrapped him in the blanket, and I'm like standing here and I'm calling, somebody get a car, somebody get a car. So we drove him to the rescue center and I was so intrigued by it that um, I signed up for their rescue because I'm out there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I figured, you know, if I'm around and there's a rescue and I'm available, I can help them out. And, you know, that was four years ago and I've been doing it ever since. Now, uh I'm sure you've come across some crazy things. What was the wildest thing you've seen? Oh, okay. I have a good story. Okay, so I'm on the deer rescue team. So last year in 2020, I had 59 full-size live deer in the back of my car. So what happens is if a- You, if you a, drive a Hummer. I drive a big Hummer, yeah. I have room for a deer. And I can actually get them in a small Hummer too, believe it or not. They uh, they kind of compact once they're tranquilized. So basically what happens is if a deer's hit by a car and I, I'm in the vicinity and I pick up the call, sometimes Suffolk County Police Department calls me. Sometimes I get them through the Star Foundation. Sometimes I get calls from Evelyn Alexander. Um, I go to the scene. You know, every once in a while we have like a good story, like, you know, a small yearling fawn gets hit by a car and he, he's standing there and he's kind of wobbling, maybe a little head trauma. You know, yeah. we, we give them a mild, mild tranquilizer, take them into the center and they treat them with steroids and 
you know, they let them kind of sit it out in a horse stall and they usually get up and they walk away from it. Um, but for the most part, if a deer breaks a leg and can't get up, they have to be euthanized. So the yep. choice is you can wait for the DEC or emergency service to come and shoot him in the head. But, you know, in this day and age, the last thing you want to see is a police officer shooting a deer in front of everybody because, you know, he'll be in jail next thing you know it. So they call us and we give them a, a mild sedative that kind of knocks them out and we take them to the Selden Animal Emergency or to Riverhead or to Evelyn Alexander and they just give them an injection that um, humanely euthanizes them. Yeah. So we had this one call. Most of the calls are bad. You know, when a deer's down, it usually means he's not getting up. Yep. We had a call, um, Longwood Road, a deer that a jogger by saw laying in the woods. He had jogged there at five o'clock in the morning and it was there. And then he went back at seven o'clock at night. And so that animal was there for like 14, 15 hours. She must have gotten hit by a car. Um, by the time we got there, she was labored breathing. Um, when I went up to give her a mild tranquilizer, I realized she was pregnant. So we called oh, wow. Dr. She was in labor? This was very cool. So we called Dr. Gucci. No, she wasn't in labor. She, but she was full term because her teats were out. I mean, she was, but there was no milk coming from them. So I knew that she didn't have the fawns, that she was still hold, carrying them. So I put my hand on her stomach. I could feel the babies move. Uh, we called uh, Integrative veteran, Veterinary in um, in Calverton, Dr. Gucciardo's office. They're wonderful. The, and we called the Star Foundation and Lori, um, who runs the Star Foundation, she's phenomenal. She's been there. She She's the owner and founder and dedicates her whole life. She called um, and it took us seven minutes to get no tranquilizer. She was so on her way out that um, we were able to pick her up, put her in the truck, seven minutes to integrated veterinary. Um, they met us there, came out with a stretcher, brought her in. Um, and they said that before they could even intubate her, she passed away. They did an emergency C-section. Oh, wow. And Layla and Lola were born. <laughs> and they, 15 minutes after they were born, they were wrapped in blankets and I was holding them in my arms and we drove them right to the Star Foundation. And they spent their first year well not so much year but towards the end of the fall we let them out and you know they still they still stay in the vicinity of the star foundation but um it's very unusual like we just had a call like that in port jefferson and we were not able to save the babies because they weren't full term but um yeah. you know that's a pretty cool that was a pretty cool one hmm. well we're gonna take a, a quick break to uh, acknowledge my sponsors uh, Underwood Ammo and Phonescope and, um, and uh, Hunt of a Lifetime. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join HuntOfALifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit 
huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. I've been I've been following your page and I've seen you doing some crazy stuff. You're climbing down sewers and uh, you're really getting into the nitty gritty of rescuing ducks and all kinds I of stuff. I love it. I love to do what everybody else is afraid to do. Oh, okay, so of- let, me give, let me give you an, let me tell you why. So three years ago, I was, I was, I was um, diagnosed with breast cancer. So, oh. so for, I always tell people that, you know, you can always say like, you have to live like you're dying, you know, like, but until someone tells you, Hey, your life, your time's almost up. You don't really think about life and how you're going to live your life. And, you know, what, I don't know about you, but like our generation, we were taught to graduate from high school, maybe go to college, maybe not. But yeah. at 18 years old, you got your own apartment, you moved out, you, you, you got a job, you got a husband or a wife, you got kids, you got a house. That, that was how, that's so different now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here I am 58 years old, making a half a million dollars a year in real estate and realizing for what? You know, all the, that 58 years and all the houses and all the money and the, it doesn't really mean anything. And I, and I, and I just, I love being around animals. I love being around people who love being around animals. Um, I will drop everything, everything. I will actually cancel a listing appointment. I'll say, listen, sorry, I got to go pick up a deer with a broken leg. You know, if, uh, if that's not okay, then you're going to have to find other real estate agents. <laughs> <laughs> People love us. They they love the work we do. They're intrigued by it. Um, people say it's selfless, but it's selfish. It's hard to explain that, but there's no better feeling for me than when I can bring an animal in, even if that animal has to be euthanized, to know that that animal is not suffering anymore mm-hmm. makes me sleep well at night. <clears throat> well, we are, um, as... I, I guess you could say we're both conservationists in that in that manner. Uh, mm-hmm. You're rescuing, uh, even through hunting, uh, I'm a conservationist. Right. Uh, all the deer on Long Island, um, the numbers have to be managed. Otherwise, they're getting hit by cars, there's starvation, uh, they it's, keep pushing west. It is such a gray area. The, sa- the sad part about the deer population is um, – there's no natural predators here on Long Island. Uh, so hunters. Right. Hunters, vehicles, animals, dogs, um, people, you know, um, unfortunately, it, you know, we have to learn how to coexist with them. But, um, and I'm kind of like, it's hard for me to comment on it because I just want all the humans to go away and leave them, let them have their environment back. <laughs> but it's really hard because I sell real estate. It's going to hurt your real estate job. It's really going to hurt my real estate business. But, um, but for me, I really feel like um, they, they do, listen, they do starve. They do. I understand that. They do starve. The babies do die because there's so much building going on around that the mothers are afraid to come back sometimes. So, and, and it's not just deer, it's all animals. I mean, I just, but the deer more so because they're human size and they need that space and they need that room. Um, and we are pushing them out of their environment. But, you know, I agree there's something we need to do. Um, I would just hope that they would regulate 
bow hunting or bow hunters. Like they would have to pass a test that they could hit something from at least 10 feet away because that's the problem. So I tracked uh, a deer in Port Jefferson that had an arrow that went through his backside mm-hmm. and, it came, and it came out of his rib cage. And when we were finally able to track him and get him down, um, I actually had to pull the arrow. I had to cut the arrow with a pair of bolt cutters, and then I had to pull the arrow out three inches so I could stick my finger inside the hole to keep him from drowning long enough to get him to get him euthanized. Mm -hmm. Because you could hear the air coming out of his lung. Um, For me, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't condone hunting. I'm not a metasaurus. I'm kind of, uh, yeah, um, I don't eat red meat, but that's my own preference. Um, And I totally, I'm fine with everybody doing what they want to do. I mean, I wish nobody would eat red meat, but it is what it is, you know, people. But but hunting, you know, there's that theory that if you're going to hunt it and you're going to kill it and you're going to eat it, then, you know... Well, I'm, I know a lot of the groups uh, of hunters on Long Island, and they all eat what they shoot um, for the I most would say part. Ninety percent, right? Uh, yeah, for the for the most part, um, the people I know are very proficient uh, with uh, with a bow, right. uh, but there's always that group that right. you know, they think they just pick up their bow, they go out, and that's that. Archery is a diminishing skill. If you don't stay on it, you don't right. do it regularly, you know, the shot you made last year, you're not going to be able to make this year. So it's right. something you really have to keep up with. Right. But right. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you in that respect. But, um, you know, we've tried other things. We've tried doing the um, the seed that goes in the male feed where yeah. and it was sterilizing the males, but it was the females were hemorrhaging and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going over too well. And then you worry about like putting something in a deer that people are going to eat, you know, it's hunting, hunting has been since the beginning of time, you know, I mean, this is how people survived. They hunted, they ate, they gathered, you know, this is not an abnormal thing. And I know that a lot of animal lovers are dead set against it. Um, But you have to have, I kind of have an open mind to it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's me as, you know, this is what I do. Right. Um, right. I'll defend it, you know, to the day I die, but. You know, I hate to I, see them free. I hate to see them suffer and, and, and. You got to be able to make an ethical to shot. And, and I understand some people, they get excited and uh, they call it fuck fever where they flood the shot and it, it's don't end up where it's supposed to be. Right. But, uh, yeah. and it, you know, it's hard to watch them starve to death though and i see it and i see it i have a group that come through my my yard and there and they sleep i have a big area in the back that's all wooded and and you know it's common area nobody would go back there and they sleep there they that's where they live and when i see them in the winter time i cringe to think that they're they're suffering they're suffering and they're starving and there's no there's no uh there's no correct answer to it. No, there isn't. And that's, it's nature. That you can't fight nature. 
it's going to happen. There's going to be predators that are going to eat the deer and they're going to starve to death. And right. it's the way it is. But um, we have a huge tick issue on Long Island. Now you're, 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 oh, um, yes. you're yes. handling these deer. I pick uh, about 30 or 40 ticks off me at least. Last year, I think it was, we lost count at like 36 or 38. I get ticks all the time. I get them all the time. But the way to um, keep yourself from getting sick is check yourself every, not the day that you're involved with the animal, but the next day. That's when mm -hmm. you can actually, that's when they've grabbed onto something. And it's okay to get bit. Uh, well, it's not okay to get bit, but if you get the tick off of you, you know, within a 24-hour period, whatever they're carrying, you have a very slim chance of catching it. Well, we have, a, we have a big Lyme disease problem on Long Island. Yep. So I don't know if you spray down with anything, um, yeah. uh, Sawyer's or, or anything. Uh, I do have something in my car. It's a repellent and it's cinnamon cloves. It's like all natural. Oh, they're natural. And when, I, yeah. and when I go out, I put that on and I'm usually pretty, but you want to know what happens a lot of times is uh, my calls are emergency calls and, you know, I stop what I'm doing, jump in my truck and I go and I get there and the deer's flailing in the middle of the street. I never have time to like spray, you know, but if I know I'm going on an excursion, you know, I'll always prepare for it ahead of time. Well, a simple trick is keep a lint roller in your car. After you finish handling the deer or, or coming out of the woods, that. you take the lint roller. Be one of these. One of those. And whatever is on you will end up on that. Just for the record, I'm always carrying things around with me because I'm covered <laughs> with hair. I'm covered with hair and I usually smell like some kind of animal urine, whether it's deer or, or possum or, yeah. So I carry one of those around with me all the time. I never thought about that. There you go. <laughs> That's a really great idea. And don't wear flip-flops when you're running through poison ivy. That's yeah, that can be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, I work in a dress usually because I'm in real estate. I'm always dressed up. I have a suit or something on. and But, um, but I always carry a pair of leggings and contractor boots and i've actually gotten out of uh my car with my dress on still and i'm running through the woods with contractor boots my dress and a pair of black leggings and people think i'm completely out of my mind i'm like listen i had, didn't have time to take the dress off <laughs> now, not everybody's an animal person how do you deal i'm sure you come in contact with these people uh when they they call for you know there's an animal on my property how do you deal with these people um, you know something? Very seldom do I really get somebody who's like, you know, adamant about it. get this animal off my property. And so sometimes what I'll do is when I get there and they have like a possum, I'll say to them, I'll, I'll say, oh my gosh, I'm going to take him. Are you sure you don't, you sure you don't want me to leave him? And they look at me like, and they say, why are you asking me that? And I'll say, because, you know, possums are the greatest animals. They eat all the ticks and all the bugs in your yard. They, their body temperature is so low that it can't, um, it can't sustain the rabies virus. So they're super clean animals. I said, and they, they will hide. They're not aggressive animals. A lot of times I'll convince people to keep the animal on their property. I had a guy call me the other day about a groundhog underneath his, his deck. And I said to him, and I ended up finding out he was a retired cop. And I said, did you know that Yapank one one police plaza I think it is in Yapank the headquarters back there if you go to the back of the main building they have tunnels that go around the entire building 
And every day the cops are out there, they bring them food, they give them, they live there. There's hundreds of them living. I said, the and they're, they're, yeah, they're really good for the environment. And he's like, really? He's like, I'm just afraid of my dog. And I'm like, like he's not, he's not an herbivore. I mean, he's an herbivore. He's not an omnivore or a, or a, um, he's not going to hurt the dog. Yeah. He's not going to hurt the dog. I said, well, to be some honest of them with you, may be as big as a small dog, but yeah, they can get big. But what I did, what I always try to tell people is that we, if you move them, they could die. Like people don't realize if you take a raccoon and you move him a mile away from where you find him, they will most likely die unless it's early spring and they can figure out another place to live and find food. They're used to their own environment um, and they're familiar. It's their home. Like I tell mm -hmm. people, how would you like if I took you and your family and dropped you in the middle of Iran? That's what it's like when you rehome an animal. Yeah. They're used to that situation. But what I did say to him, as I said, what you can do is now that she's probably got young under there. I said, what you can do is after the winter's over, early spring, what you can do is you can just start shoving hay down there to kind of push her out and maybe she'll relocate, but you can't relocate them when they have babies and you can't relocate them in the summertime, in the wintertime either, because then they'll, you know, they hibernate. Um, so yeah, I always try to convince people to keep the animal there if I can. Hmm. Well, it's uh, definitely a good thing that you're doing. Uh, do you have a website? I don't have a website, but um, I will tell you that the two companies, uh, the two organizations that I work for have websites. Um, one is Save the Animals Rescue Foundation in Middle Island. It's also known as the Star Foundation. You can Google it and they'll tell you, you know, everything that we do and there's videos there and educational things. Um, and then the Evelyn Alexander Wildlife Rescue Center out in Hampton Bays um, also has a website. And you can go to both of those organizations and donate, um, you know, find out a little bit more. Oh, and we're always looking for volunteers. So if, you know, if you're not into that adrenaline run out and rescue the animal, I know that um, the Star Foundation is always looking for volunteers to help, you know, clean the animal's cages, feed the babies. Um, same thing with Evelyn Alexander, they're always looking for help. So they have facilities where they store the animals and, and all of that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Both of them. Yep. And you have a whole, um, cat menagerie set up in your garage. I've seen that. Uh... I do. I do. <laughs> that was, uh, that was an interesting, uh, rescue. That was, uh, that was, uh, as a matter of fact, right before COVID hit, February 13th, the day before um, Valentine's Day, I got a call that there was a woman that had 18 cats in a freezing van. They had lived there, I'm sorry, 13 cats. They had lived there for 16 months and the van broke down and it was 17 degrees out. So and it was in Lindenhurst. We, to make a long story short, we ran out there, got her into a homeless shelter, took all of her cats, put them in cages in my garage. Within two weeks, we had uh, an entire third bay of a garage rebuilt with with catwalks and, and cubbies and beds and litter boxes and feeders and waters. And, um, and when everybody else was running around getting toilet paper, um, I think I had a $2,000 chewy bill because I was so afraid they were going to run out of cat food. And so we had, we stocked up on the cat food and, you know, uh, litter, you know, whatever we needed, medical um, equipment for them. Um, and we actually were able to get them all adopted by uh, the end of May. But that cat and we that cattery is not in my garage anymore. 
what we did was we broke that cattery down and we donated it to another rescue group that was trying to build a cattery outside for some feral cats and we gave that to them and we actually got volunteers to disassemble it and reassemble it for them so kind of of paying it forward yeah it's a good thing to know (laughs) all right well i appreciate your time thank you so much for what you're doing uh, oh, it, it's uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure. It really is. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. It's always good to see you and reconnect with old friends. Yeah, let's do this again. All right. Thanks again. All right. Take care. Have a great day.